Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have Bonnie Gollum. She is from uh, Philadelphia. She has a, uh, she self-manages a big portfolio with her husband and she's an attorney. So I love today's episode because if we can get an attorney on our show, I wish we could do it every week, right, Andressa? <laughs> could save some bucks. Exactly, could save some bucks. But she was great. And what I think was one of the most helpful things that we covered was really the the thinking behind asset protection. We really go into that topic today and she gives some great suggestions on it's just not a, should I have an LLC or not? It's, it's much more than that. And I love what she sh shared about how we as investors can, can really apply and make sure we protect ourselves. Yes, and Bonnie and her husband, they self-manage more than 120 doors and 60% of it are student housing. So she talks more about this and also what they had to apply after COVID, some things that they need to change to make sure they're setting themselves up for success. So if you're looking to uh, get into student housing, this is also a good episode for you. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show. Thank you so much for being back with us for another week. We have Bonnie Galam on our show today. Bonnie, thank you for being here with us. Thanks so much for having me. We're happy to have her. As we always do, we have some amazing, amazing women who are in the business of investing, or they have something amazing to share to our community, right, Andressa? That's correct. And, and what are we doing? This is a community. This is a, someone asked me, what is InvestHer? Like, it's a movement. That's, a, that's, a, that's what this is. It's much more than a podcast, right? And we are all about empowering women to live a financially free and balanced life. So everything that we're doing, lots of things we have happening in our community comes back to that mission statement. Andressa and I are very, very diligent to, is this, this aligned with our mission statement? I mean, we say it countless times because it's really important to us. So we serve all of you amazing women listening. So thanks for being back with us. Before we jump into Bonnie's story, she has so much to share with us today. Bonnie's an attorney. She's an investor. She's got a lot. I have personally tons of questions to ask bon Bonnie. <laughs> um, we always like to get uh, connected to all of you and we like to share something that's coming up for us. And hopefully you can take that into your, to your world and your life. So Andressa, what is coming mm -hmm. up for you today? Yeah. So before I say that, it's funny that a lot of people that come to our community, some people listen to our podcast and they come to our Facebook and then they discover this entire world about meetups and memberships and different things that we have going on. And the funny thing is when somebody comes to the Facebook group and then people say, oh, uh, you can watch so-and-so on the podcast episode. And it's like, what podcast? They have no idea about the podcast. And it's like, oh my gosh, this entire, another, you know, virtual world that I, it's untapped. So if you're listening to me now, we're more than a podcast. We have a Facebook group. We have different types of membership, free and paid. So check us out. And if you have not read the book, The Only Woman in the Room, check it out. Because it's just a lot of practical and inspirational stories of women that are successful in this industry. And I'm sure you're going to get a ton of like tons of golden nuggets from, from the book itself. All right. That being said, uh, the, the story that I want to share involves my son. <laughs> so I took him to swimming class this past weekend. Mm. He loves water, right? But 
poor guy. In his mind, he can swim, but he cannot. He die. He will drown and die. He cannot. So he was super excited to go. It's, it's, he's going to have a coach that's going to teach him how to swim. And he's like, I am so excited because I'm going to swim today. I was like, hold on, buddy. Uh, let me set up the right expectations to you. Unfortunately, you are not going to swim today, right? The goal today is to practice. And he's a super like higher, high achiever. So he's like, how many times do I need to practice in order for me? Because he already wanted to know every single thing. It was like as many times as we need to right? But the goal today is for you to have a great lesson, to learn a couple of things, to have a lot of fun and practice, 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 practice. And that was the goal, the expectation. So he went in understanding that he was not going to freaking swim. And then he came out and he's like, you was great. I practiced. How did I practice? Did I practice right? It was like, you did a great job. He's like, well, but that time I kind of like, I didn't do it right. I was like, well, but that's practice, isn't it? Why am I saying this to you guys? Because I hear a lot of women want to come and start investing in real estate. And they want to have this entire plan and say, okay, what do I need to do on my first rehab? Tell me all that's going to happen on this first rehab because I want to learn everything. So I'm going to break it down to you. You're not going to learn everything on your first rehab, on your second, on your third, on your tenth. You're going to learn throughout your entire career. So set up the right expectations for yourself. You are like practicing medicine, right? You are practicing real estate. Every time that you do a deal, it's better than, it should be better than the previous one. If you screw up paperwork or, you know, you did your taxes on your own or create contracts on your own, you need to do better <laughs> than that, right? So have the right expectations, have some grace with, with yourself, right? And it's hard for me to say that because I always want to do, you know, my best, but I have learned throughout my ups and downs that I need to have some clear expectations of what am I doing in this project here? Is my, my objection to learn? Is it to uh, gain experience in different areas? Is it to profit, right? So have that clear before you, you go in and have some grace with you. I love that. I love that. It's like, it's the analogy that's a marathon, right? Not a sprint. And, and if you train for a marathon and you're like, I'm going to have the expectation, I'm going to go run, you know, 20, is it 27 miles. I don't remember. I've ran two of them and I don't even remember how many miles, 21, 21 or 27. I can't remember. You're, it's above, you're asking the wrong I, person. <laughs> why not know this? This is crazy. But anyway, 26.2. Thank you very much, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Totally wrong. You're like, uh, neither 26.2. <laughs> But you don't go out and run 26 miles, right? You physically get hurt just to your point, Andressa. So yeah, have those expectations. I love that. And you can, you could apply that on your daily, on a daily basis, not just for big goals, have the right expectations for the day. I know I write 25 things down. I wanted to do today. I don't think I'm probably going to get 25 things, done. but have the expectations, right? Set yourself up for success. Love it. 
So without further ado, Bonnie, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Bonnie's a very, very active member of our community. She's one of our meetup leaders in South Jersey. So we, we appreciate you and appreciate all you do for our community. And I see you always posting great, great insight. So we just, you know, appreciate it. Oh, Bonnie's responding. I feel like good about it because I know you're, you're going to be, you take care of women. Um, so Sometimes I tag her. I was like, yeah, Bonnie, yeah. please jump in here because it's going all over the place. So, so, for, for you, Bonnie, I mean, I love that you have like a couple hats, right? You have the attorney hat on, you have an investor hat on, and not, not a small portfolio, a very large portfolio. What propelled you to get involved in real estate investing? What came first? You know, what was your, what was your journey and what was your, how did you get to investing? So I got to investing through my husband. I met my husband when I was in law school and I distinctly remember, I think I met him when I was taking property class and he had mentioned that, you know, he was a landlord actually near the law school where I was going to law school. And I had a little panic attack that he in fact was my landlord for a quick moment, um, but he wasn't. <laughs> and then I remember like, as I got to know him and his business that, you know, he was growing, I would kind of dissect things behind. I'm like, this is what I'm learning in class. And what are you doing here? And, you know, learning about like how he was forming his businesses and his LLCs and how he was dealing with tenants. And eventually I married the guy and we continued to kind of grow that portfolio together. And so I, I guess I married into real estate investing, um, which may be somewhat unique in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and did you, so you didn't have any rental properties. He had them. And, and then you were like, what, did, were you excited that he had like rental properties? What was your kind of opinion of it, if you will? Especially coming from an attorney perspective, right? Was this a good venture? You're like, oh my God, I, I always wanted to get involved. Or like, whoa, this is, this is interesting. This guy's- I definitely looked at it first as like a nervous wreck. I was a nervous wreck about it. I was like, these are like physical landmines that you own. <laughs> and like, how are you doing this? And as I you know, got to understand it more, I'm like, okay, there's controlled risk and controlled reward in many senses. And like any other business, uh, that was exactly the case. Um, it, it really isn't in my perspective, any different than any business adventure. There's always risk with the hope for reward in the end. Um, I will say that the more I, I dove into it, the more I wanted to be a part of it and learn more about it. I've always, always loved real estate and my, I never really thought of it this way, but my, my grandparents were real estate investors. My, maybe they're the OG house hackers and that my grandmother didn't want a ring. She wanted a, a duplex. And wow. so they house hacked their first house and she never had like an engagement ring or anything. And so they had that until almost when they passed away. Um, and so I, I did see that and I saw how it gave them a lot of flexibility, especially in their retirement years to have that extra income come in when they were on, you know, fixed incomes with social security and their pension and whatnot. So I had a little bit of an understanding about it, but nothing hands on it. It was never something that was like considered a family business in any way. Yeah. So I was just curious because, you know, him being a landlord and you being an attorney, did that prevent you guys to make like big mistakes as you, as you grew your portfolio? Because you, you have a large portfolio now. Uh, but, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it, that's perfect. They're like bulletproof. But I want to hear from, from you. Any mistakes yeah. that you... You, you mind sharing with us? Or sure. Yeah. I'll, 
I have a perfect example of a mistake that, you know, you think you've crossed all the I's and dotted all the T's. And um, I share about this in my community a bit where I had a circumstance where there was a handyman that we had worked with. He was kind of our go-to guy, you know, go unclog this toilet, go fix this window, whatever the case may be. And eventually that relationship just kind of faded away. He disappeared. Lo and behold, about two-ish years later, we get served with a lawsuit and it was like, of course, like the day before the statute of limitations was up. And he was alleging that he fell off a ladder in one of our properties and he was actually our employee and he wanted workers comp. And we're like, what? Like you're just the handyman that we called to do that stuff. And so it was a big lesson for me. We're like, you can have the leases in place. You can make sure title's perfect. And then you deal with, you know, the people who you deal with every single day, their home is kind of the biggest bomb that's hidden out there from an asset protection standpoint for real estate investors. And so now moving forward, what do we do? If they don't have a contract they're giving us that clearly states they are a contractor, they will serve us with a 1099 at the end of the year, then we're giving it back to them. And if they're not willing to sign that with us, then you know, that's a huge red flag. Like, do we really want to work with you? Uh, because we are now taking on all that liability. And that comes from, you know, a worker's comp standpoint. Do we know if you're properly insured? Making sure all of those things are outlined in writing. And we're, we're really not taking people's word for that type of uh, work anymore. So that's mm. anyone walking into your property from anyone touching your property. You either, you know, they can be obviously handyman and contractors. That's obvious. You're going to have a contract hopefully with them or, 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 or justice kind of yell at you, but I mean, anyone else like that, that you, you, we, you know, you hire for pest control, like somebody who comes in to do pest control. How do you, you get something in place so, too, or how does that work? Yeah. So most of the time, like uh, pest control is a great example because most of our properties are in West Philly and Lord knows we have pest control uh, on retainer, but it's just that. They're on That's retainer. Yeah. They, you know, they send us an initial contract. They're like, look, this is what we do. This is, you know, we're going to come out quarterly in there. It clearly states, and you know, these guys and a lot of you mm. know, those types of agreements they will have in there. We're your contractor. We're going to serve you with the 1099. Um, or whatever the case may be, depending on like the value of the, uh, the scope of their services and that there's no employer employee relationship. And that's almost across the board now. Yeah, that's great. And when it, like, let's talk about asset protection, because, you know, sometimes people hear asset protection and they're like, oh, that's for people who have a lot of property, you know, yeah. or they don't, you know, I don't know. I've heard that in our community and it's just like, it's almost like a, um, a, a big term that almost like makes you feel like, oh, well, I just have a duplex. You know, do I really need to have that protected? Um, I've heard people say that. So how do you, how do you like manage that? How do you suggest that to investors regardless of the size? And what does that even look like? Does it look like being obviously properly insured? I mean, you would be better to say this than me. The whole question of LLC, no LLC, right? is a big hot topic in our community. Um, so yeah, when it comes to asset protection, what would you say? would be some general guidelines for women to, to follow regardless of their portfolio, or should it be something that you start to look at maybe as you scale? So, and I, I blame the legal industry for this because I think people look at asset protection as just that it's LLCs, it's trust, it's all this complicated entity frameworks, but that's really not what asset protection is. In my point of view, asset protection is saving money. It's protecting the asset, whether it's from 
unnecessary taxes, disputes with your tenants, disputes with contractors, all of that is part of asset protection. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you are in an LLC or own the properties personally, those risks are across the board. And that's true whether you've got one property or a hundred properties. And so I really think that investors should reframe how they think about asset protection because those types of entities like LLCs, they don't do anything to stop a lawsuit from happening. They're just there to protect you in the event that it arises. And so if you can think about what should I be doing in my business now that can prevent those types of losses from happening, like having good contracts, making sure those communications are in writing, especially with tenants. Tenants can be hugely expensive if you're not documenting that type of stuff properly. And it doesn't matter how you own the property. It really doesn't. And so I don't want you to think that you have to wait until you've got X number of properties to start thinking about how to protect yourself. You should do that from day one, especially because I know a lot of investors get started as house hackers. They're buying, you know, with FHA loans um, and you can't do that with an LLC. And so if they're under the mindset that like, I can't do anything to protect myself, it, it, this is just the, the boat I'm in, then that's really dangerous for them. And I want those types of investors to know that there are things you can do, even if you're not ready for an LLC or, you know, a land trust or whatever fancy entity there is out there, that there are things you can do to still protect yourself. So let's what talk about say? that. Yeah. And things like that. So I want to go, I want to go there because a lot of people, they're either thinking about, they're in that, that like question under my name, under an LLC, there's pros and cons of, of, of both. And there's another group of people that have under their name. Um, so how those folks that decided to have under their name can still uh, have uh, asset protection? Sure. So some of the things, of, like you mentioned, are, of course, making sure you've got the right insurances in place. A big mistake I see a lot of investors make is that they're telling their insurance company what insurance they need instead of the other way around. You need to really have mm -hmm. a broker who's a partner with you and saying, asking you the right questions to make sure you've got the right kind of policy. You don't want to be shopping based off of price. You really want to make sure you've got a broker who is talking to you and asking you questions, uniquely checking in with you as say, you know, it's a rehab type of job. The type of insurance you have when you purchase a shell is very different than the insurance you're going to have on that property once it's tenant occupied. And so making sure you've got that person as really a team player alongside of you, and they are helping not only educate you, but make sure that you're properly covered from start to finish is, is key. And that should be a, a two-way street. It should not be you just directing. And if you find that you are coaching your insurance company and explaining to them, then it's probably a red flag that you need to maybe shop your insurance broker. That's such a the, good point that it is a freaking red flag. If you're telling people across the board, if you're telling your HVAC guy, your electrician, your you shouldn't, you shouldn't be telling anything else that you want to add Bonnie to this. Yeah. The, the other thing I would say is make sure that your it's tenants, my God, I cannot stress enough, making sure you are communicating with your tenants properly, uh, that you don't always, you know, I always, always coach people. Don't text with your tenants, if at all possible. If you do, or if you've got a phone call, memorialize it with an email follow-up or something. And the reason I tell you that is because I've been that person who's gone to court. And I can tell you right now, 
having a text message as evidence is very different in terms of weight as having a email as evidence. You can't subpoena these, you know, cell phone companies. Any defense attorney could tear that apart and be like, this was doctored in some way. It's a very difficult thing to enter as evidence. And so I always look at things as how is this going to look in front of a judge, whether it's, you know, for an eviction or for some sort of dispute with a contractor, like what am I going to want to have on my side to prove what we're now agreeing to or to prove this conversation happened. And so think about that when you're really communicating across the board, because this is your business and you need to make sure you're protecting your business. And I don't think, you know, sending an email or sending a letter to a tenant is is overly cumbersome to really get the protection that that provides to you. I love that. I want to talk about, you know, when, 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 as investors, we have different projects going on and, we have our LLC for quote unquote asset protection. However, we commingle things. We buy things. Oh, forgot. I use my personal credit card here. And then I use the money to pay something else. And it's just like a little chaos of personal and business funds that are mixed up. How does that affect um, the protection and liability in general. It, you can probably just throw away the money you gave to your lawyer in that <laughs> sense. Uh, and I hate to put it that way, but the reality is, is you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't mm. expect to have the asset protection that comes from an LLC and then not act like an LLC. There's the proverbial corporate veil, which uh, any defense attorney or plaintiff's attorney is going to try to pierce and, uh, come after your personal assets. And all if they look at your bank account or your uh, business credit card and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's Target and all of, you know, Amazon and all these things that are clearly not related to the business. We can't see any history of rent actually being deposited in the business bank account. It's going right to the personal bank account. Then they're like, you're not really acting like an LLC. And so you don't then get the benefit of being treated like an LLC for the asset protection. And so it's absolutely, absolutely critical that when you form these entities, that it's it's not enough just to check the box and be like, great, I've got an LLC, I'm protected. You have to continue to act like a business. It's, it's not just the entity. That's, that's just step one. Yeah, it's so important. And, and that really goes to even just having the right operating agreement, having the right, right legal docs just to, and then you're doing what it says it is in there that yeah. you're supposed to be doing, you know, and what have you. Um, I mean, it, you know, in terms of just like avoiding, you're not going to ever avoid any sort of problem, right? In this business. I mean, it's just the nature of being in business, right? I think mm-hmm. someone told me that like, if you haven't been sued, you're not playing a big enough game. And I'm like, what's interesting. It's not like you want to be sued. Like who really wants to be sued? But, you know, I think about our 15 years of investing. I mean, we've had everything happen to us. Um, and that to me feels normal in some ways from the sense of, okay, we, we learn from those things. So what can women do that there they're, they're a lot of women, right? Bonnie, you see it in our community. Um, have a portfolio and they're growing, they're scaling. You've scaled your portfolio, right? And you self-manage, which I want to get to because I think I just want to get into that with you <laughs> in a moment here. But um, what can you put in place? Like, and, and also not spend so much money, right? No offense. I love attorneys, yeah. but they cost a lot. They do. Yeah. They, they're, they're an investment of, and a good investment, but you're balancing, right? I know. Um, so 
how do like how do you suggest this to women to say okay how do you keep it in front of you to make sure you're you're protected you know strong and you're, you're protected in the right way do you do it once a year do you look at your kind of do like an overview do you do a strategy session i've heard that from our accountants right they're like we need to have strategy sessions to make sure you're not paying overpaying in taxes especially when it comes to real estate depreciation yeah. and we have those meetings i i can't think of enough that i've had those kinds of meetings with our attorneys so i'm curious because probably because you know you want to be mindful of cost and investment in it but what would you suggest to a woman growing her portfolio? She doesn't want to spend thousands and thousands every year on attorney bills, but they know enough that this is important and they want to make sure they're protected correctly because five years ago, they may not have known they should really be in a trust and now they're in this or an escort or whatever the, the conversation. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, I, I think that the, I get that sentiment. Like I was an investor kind of before I started my real estate practice. Um, and we weren't calling our attorney for all of that little stuff. Like I'm not calling them and be like, Hey, how does this letter look that I'm going to send to my tenant? Or what do you think of this contractor? Um, like we just had to take certain legal decisions on our own. And I saw it in my own practice. And sometimes that comes and bites you in the butt. And sometimes it's doesn't, but there's this like this gap between like where people want and really the value of working with attorneys is, but where all the legal decisions are also being made. And that's, you know, a big reason why I had created Landlord Law School was to fill in that gap and create the education. So that way you have an opportunity to learn that stuff, say, Hey, is this right for me right now? Should I table this for now? Um, and, you know, have a lot of resources to be able to implement a lot of things on your own in, in that gap period of time, having a reflection period, whether it's a strategy session with an attorney being like, Hey, look, this is what happened in the past year. I absolutely recommend getting your lease reviewed more than like once every 30 years, you'd be surprised the leases that, you know, get brought into me, have that stuff checked in laws change. Don't think that like the documents that you started when you formed your business are the documents that you're going to use forever. It should be evolving. And I suggest to my clients and I, I have a kind of an audit in my program where you run through and you're like, what worked well this year and what didn't. And then if things didn't go work well, who do we need a call to make sure this doesn't happen again? It may be your CPA it may be your insurance broker. It may be your lawyer and say, look, Hey, we had this tenant problem this year. What do we need to add to our lease to make sure this doesn't happen again? And just keep a running tally. And that you may figure out who exactly you need to speak to, to nip that stuff in the butt moving forward. I love that. So it's almost like your internal audit which you should be doing, right? Uh, you know, kind of like, you know, what should I continue doing, start doing, stop doing? But then to also then say, which team members can help me here? And I think that's a great, great suggestion and a great, um, a great strategy. The, um, so you self-manage over 120 of uh, doors or properties? Doors. Doors. Between 12 and 6 a.m. because I have no idea uh, you have two little ones that you have a practice and everything else. So tell us what is the freaking secret for, for doing that? And what time do you do that? <laughs> sure. So it, it is a 
full-time job for my husband. Um, It wasn't always that way, but it has become that way. I would say that we kind of are able to manage the craziness in some way and that most of our rentals are time to turn over either August 1st or September 1st. They're largely student rentals. And so they turn over with the calendar year. And so that kind of gives us a really busy season. And then the rest of the year, we kind of have um, some downtime where we're just dealing with like CapEx things, maintenance things, uh, the back end. Of, of the business. And, um, I joke with my, my husband that he gets a lot of his workouts in during the rest of the year, a lot of time at the gym. Um, but I think having, you know, whether or not you got student rentals or not, I cannot emphasize enough. It's really nice to kind of just have a turnover period. You get all your contractors lined up, you get all your rental agreements lined up. You just, you have this period of time where you're like, you know what, this is going to be the busy chunk. And you can time that for a time that works really well for your life. If like your CPA don't have your leases, you know, time to end between March and April, that would make you lose your mind. Think about your own lifestyle and what would be a good time for that to happen. If you, you know, if you are self-managing now, if you've got a property manager and that's all, you know, hand off to someone else, then you've got a little bit more flexibility to just kind of have that stuff happen uh, outside your watch. Hey there, fellow libation lovers. Let's talk about something that's sure to tickle your taste buds. Total Wine & More. Are you ready to embark on a journey through the aisles of endless possibilities? Total Wine & More is your one-stop shop for all things wine, whiskey, and everything in between. From the smoothest Cabernets to the boldest bourbons, they've got it all. And the best part? Their team of friendly guides is here to help you navigate through the maze of choices. Need a recommendation? They've got you covered. But wait, it gets even better. Total Wine & More offers convenient curbside pickup and delivery, so you can stock up on your favorites without ever leaving your car or home. So, what are you waiting for? Dive into the world of Total Wine & More today and discover your next favorite libation. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. That's TotalWine.com. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. What has been the process? Because I'm sure you've got, and I think we've even had conversations since since we've met and connected Bonnie over the years. I, I don't Tell me if I'm off. That's possible that I'm making up a conversation we've had and we never had. That's <laughs> definitely possible for me. But for whatever reason, I'm I'm remembering a conversation we had that, you know, it's that conversation of like, when is it time to transition? Should we keep self-managing? And I think it's a conversation a lot of people have, right? A lot of women have, all investors have. And it's a conversation we had, me and my husband. And, you know, there's no right and wrong. I, I, mm-hmm. There's really no right and wrong. But I'm curious, at 120 units, right? You've had to have a conver- that conversation with your husband. That's what I'm remembering. That you, you've had a co- you've had multiple conversations, and you've decided to continue down the self managing path. So for the women listening that are kind of like, you know, they've been self managing and they're looking to, especially invest out of state. You know, there's a lot of things that come at us, right? Especially now with this crazy, crazy hot market. We're all yeah. looking in markets that are out of state because you know, people have to get creative and how to make deals happen right now because things are a little nutty. So what have you, what have been the questions you've asked? What, what internal kind of work have you done to say, let's keep self-managing? I'm just curious to hear that because I think that is something women need, they navigate and, 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 and it's, there's no right and wrong. I think the first thing is personality. Not everyone has the personality to self-manage. I personally don't have the personality to self-manage. I get stressed out over everything. And so my husband just, he goes with the role. He loves it. This is like, ain't no thing. He gets a call from a tenant. They're screaming. Everything's going wrong. And he's just like, all right, 
well, you know, we'll have the HVAC guy come out tomorrow and everything's fine. And I'm like, oh my God, they're going to not pay their rent. Everything's going to go wrong. And he's just like, you sound like Bonnie. me, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, you know, I come in at, you know, the key, the other points it's like, all right, this year, for example, we're updating a lot of our leases. We've learned a lot during COVID and we're like, all right, it, it's time to tighten up a lot of our leases. And so like that's backend work that I can handle. It's not really tenant facing. He does a lot of that work unless we know we need the big, scary lawyer from a letter. Um, but the rest of the communication, that's best for him. The other thing I would say is all of our properties are within about an hour of us. It's very easy for us to self-manage. If we were to look at a property, probably any further than that, um, we would get a property manager for it. It's just, there's a time value to our money. The fact that most of our properties are even just within center city of Philadelphia makes it very easy. When we stop by one property or we've got multiple turnovers happening, the fact that they're all within one zip code makes it a lot easier to manage that turnover. If they were in, you know, a hundred different cities, I'd probably pull my hair out, but they're not. They're largely around, you know, a few different neighborhoods in Philadelphia. And that makes it easy for us. So Bonnie you mentioned that you guys learned a couple of things during COVID. Would you mind sharing with our audience? What are a couple of, you know, two or three things that you are implementing now that it was not on your radar prior? Sure. So the first one is how useless evictions are. When you get that yes. taken away from you, you're like, okay, um, what's plan B? And that has really kind of changed the way that I think about evictions. I mean, I think we, prior to this year, we had maybe two evictions over the past 10 years. It is one of those things that we avoid at all costs to begin with. And it's short of it being like a tenant saying, I will never leave here. You have to evict me that, that we go down that route. Um, I don't think it's good for the landlord. I don't think it's good for the tenant. And I just don't like the dynamic it causes, but I've really seen the value of um, eviction alternatives cash for keys, just lease termination agreements. And that comes with a lot of really open and frank conversations with our tenants. Uh, we've had a lot of tenants, particularly, I'd say April, May last year, just be very frank with us and be like, we can't afford this anymore. What are our options? We want to move back in with our parents, particularly with you know grad students. Um, we're going back home, school shutting down. What can we do? And we very quickly were like, you know what? Let's get them out while they're saying they want to get out and see if we can get a paying tenant back in. And so we had the documents ready to roll. We're like, all right, here's your release. Here's your release. Got them uh, re-rented very quickly. And it it's helped us and it, it helped them too. Like it doesn't, I don't think most tenants want to be in default. I don't think most tenants want to feel like they're in over their head and giving them that option. They may not even know that's an option. They just may think like, all right, well, I'm either stuck in this lease and so I might as well not pay it or um, just, you know, feel the shame of not being able to do that. And so very early on last year, we had that conversation with our tenants. Um, another thing that we have unfortunately kind of dealt with this year is the fact that we now have, and particularly in our multis, tenants who would normally have gone out during the day and are now staying home all day. And so they're much more sensitive to each other. They're mm -hmm. much more likely to be like this person's walk, you know, their kids are running around all day and I'm trying to get work done downstairs or, um, they're, you know, coming in and out at different hours than they had normally done it. And they're just much more sensitive. And so really thinking about like what quiet enjoyment means in our leases and what are, what are landlord emergencies and what are, you know, police emergencies. Unfortunately, we've had, had some of that this year where people are just in 
they're close to each other all the time. They're banging on each other's doors saying, you know, turn it down. And, you know, and what are our policies in terms of communication and hours of communication with us? Like short of it being a someone like burning the house down, like the fact that you two are fighting over who has the TV on at what hour is not something that needs to wake up the landlord at, 10, at you know, 1 a.m. in the morning. It's just not. And so creating boundaries for us uh, has been huge. And that's not to say that we want to be hands off with them, but there also needs to be this like understanding of like respect and like what role the landlord plays during the tenancy. And like what part of this is just like y'all are adults and you need to like behave like adults. <laughs> Yeah, not, not, that's not easy to to manage because yeah, multis, regardless of the insulation, they're going to hear each other. It's just the yeah. nature; they're so close to each other, right? Um, yeah, and that's an interesting point, right? They're staying they're staying home. Speaking of like student rentals, how have you found so with majority of your portfolio all were they all student rentals? Was it a mix of of different types of young professionals or other types of tenants? Before COVID. I'd say we're probably like 60% student rentals. And I don't know how this time last year, I was like, we are screwed. We pulled yeah. our HELOC. We're like, we're going to need this money to, to pay our, our mortgages for the rest of the year. You know, we've got the cash reserves. We're going to be ready to go in case we've got massive amount of vacancy. And everybody, like almost everybody renewed. We had like very little turnover, which is very unusual. I find in student rentals because everyone's friends change and everyone wants to move every year. Lord knows I moved every year, I think of college and law school. Thank you, dad. Um, but everyone stayed and I don't know a Drexel, which is near where most of our student rentals are, is kind of a unique college. I'm not sure how many of the listeners are familiar with it, but it's got a co-op program. You've got a lot of students who stay near campus for uh, work, even if they're not during uh, taking like an academic semester. But Drexel also, I think, largely had um, a hybrid program. And so a lot of kids chose to stay on campus. Another thing that I think helped us was that the dorms were not open. And so if someone wanted to be in University mm -hmm. City, they had to find private housing. And I think, honestly, there, there was very little housing. I think there was a shortage. And so it, it kind of played out in our favor. I mean, it, it may help that we're in an urban area. I'm not sure how rural colleges panned out if they were kind of completely shut down. But for us, we were able to largely, um, we don't have a vacancy, you know, knock on wood. And you know, we're now kind of entering the time in the next few weeks where we're going to reach out to the tenant and say, you know, who's thinking about renewing, who wants to, um, you know, move out. And I, I highly recommend doing that. I, even if your lease, you know, says they have to give you notice, maybe 60 or 90 days in it beforehand, reach out to them like four or five months. Chances are they probably know um, what they're going to do. And so even if they don't, it doesn't hurt to just be like, hey, this is coming up. What are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely right. Because they, if you can get a, if you can get a, um, a jump start on on marketing it and all that you know important important stuff, so you don't lose lose money, it's so so helpful. And you have to be that way. Um, I know when we were self managing, we were doing almost like the ninety days out at least, yeah. not not initially, but we learned to do exactly. That. The more we the more time we have, the easier it is. Especially right now, where again, I think we're going to be going into an unusual turnover period. Tenants aren't going to want people coming through their houses. Last mm -hmm. year, our tenants were really really great with that. They provided videos to us. They took pictures. Um, sent it to us and allowed us to kind of connect with them in terms of allowing access to the the apartments and. Um, if we have to do that again this year, we will, but now we've got a lot of great videos and photos. Thanks to our tenants. Yeah. And that's huge because it's, especially you think about even preventative maintenance, 
you know, being able to do all the walkthroughs that you would normally do. It's like, you know, it hasn't been easy to do. So the videos can help. Um, yeah. You know, just in general, because it's okay, what's going on there. Yeah. Fill me in. Yeah, <laughs> How's that in. place look? Show me the whole place. You know, who's living there? I know we used to do preventative maintenance. We always discovered people living there that wasn't supposed to live there. That was just the common. We're like, all right, which apartment is it going to be? <laughs> um, and we would discover it. And then you're like, uh, they're not on the lease. You know, it's just, that always seemed to happen. But anyway, I digress. Um, Bonnie, this has been um, awesome. I, I feel like we have so many so many questions to ask you from an attorney perspective, but that is why you're part of our community and all the yeah. good things that you're doing in terms of helping people kind of, you know, bridge the gap, right? So where can the women listening learn more about you and all the good stuff that you're up to? Sure. So there's two places that I like to play, I guess three, besides your Facebook group, I'm always in your Facebook group. Uh, the first is I have... <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a podcast called Good Bones Real Estate Investing. If you're a podcast listener, you can hop on over there. And I also like to hang out on Instagram a lot, Bonnie Gallum ESQ. Uh, I like to, you know, do lawyer rants, kind of show some behind the scenes of things I'm working on, and uh, just talk about the business of real estate because I, I believe that, you know, for every legal solution, there's also a business aspect to it, and you can't really separate the two. Awesome. Awesome. And in we're going to share uh, on the show notes uh, an affiliate code uh, that Bonnie has for her products. Want to talk about that, Bonnie? Sure. So I created a program called Landlord Law School about a year ago now, actually. It, it came out of the nexus of the eviction moratorium. It started with just a few legal templates that I made, a cash for keys agreement, lease termination agreement that I was using in my own business and saying, hey, look, other landlords probably need this too. They're, we're locked out of the courts in New Jersey. We're still locked out of the courts. PA has got a little bit more flexibility at this point, but in many ways, we're up a creek without a paddle. And so what can we do to you know, give us some options? And from there, it kind of grew into this you know, huge course that I now have where I thought about, I'm like, what are all the mistakes that landlords and investors are making before they call an attorney? Because I, I started my law firm to help other real estate investors like myself. And I found that they were still messing things up in a, in a way that was really expensive, but also in a way that an LLC wouldn't have necessarily helped that. And yeah, I talk about LLCs and trusts and whether or not they might be right for you, but ultimately the program is to give you a one, like tons of legal templates that you can use in your business, but also the, that education that we were talking about earlier about what decisions do I need to be making now? And so you can really go from like, I don't know what I'm doing to feeling like the CEO of your investing business, because it truly is a, a much more like a business than it is an investment, in my opinion. Awesome. That's awesome. And you guys can check the link on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Bonnie, is what's the most transformational book have you ever read? So this is hard. I am a bookworm. And so I'm going to just pick a book that I've been nursing for a few months because every like sentence, I'm like, oh my God, I need to simmer on this for like 10 minutes. The book is called This is Marketing by Seth Godin. And it has really changed the way that I think about marketing um, coming from a place of service, which I've, I've always tried to do. But then I, I 
always tie it back to real estate investing as a business. And so how can I grow my real estate portfolio more by implementing like marketing tools? I mean, let's move beyond just the, the bandit signs and the cold calling and the text messaging, which in my opinion is illegal, but that's a conversation for another day. And like really kind of cultivate a community and a, um, an, an infrastructure and ecosystem that just attracts in my case, what I would want is, you know, sellers. And so giving us an opportunity to, to, to buy with them. And so that book, this is marketing by Seth Godin, super recommend it. Awesome. The second question is what's the most transformational routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Okay. So for this, I would say that there's two things that I did that in conjunction have been really transformational. The first is that I took what's called the Clifton Strengths Finder last summer, where it kind of outlined, it's like a, a disc or another one of those personality tests, but it's a lot more uh, detailed in conjunction with the time study of how I was using my time. And then I looked at that and said, all right, how much of the things I'm doing are actually in my zone of genius and in my strengths? And how much of it is just like, things that either could be delegated or um, a waste of time. <laughs> I think over the last year, we all probably saw our Netflix time go like way, way up. And then, which was fine. I think we all kind of needed that, but at some point it's like, okay, like that's, that's not moving me forward. And so can I time block this? I'm sure. Uh, and I know several of your guests have mentioned time blocking, but having the intentionality of like, what are my strengths looking at that in part of a time study and making sure I have dedicated time where I am acting within my strengths. That's awesome. The last question is which woman famous or not has inspired you the most. Okay. So besides like all the amazing family women that I, you know, whose shoulders I stand on at this point, the, a, a woman right now who's really inspiring me is Rachel Rogers. I went through her coaching program. She really helped me overcome a lot of money mindset issues that I've had. I had a lot of a really big scarcity mindset issue and, you know, finding abundance in my practice, in my personal life. Mm -hmm. And, um, she recently bought a ranch in North Carolina on like, I think like hundreds of acres. And I, I'm one of those people, I'm sure there's other listeners who have like having some sort of like retreat or bed and breakfast as part of like their bucket list. And she did that. And so I always like following people who have done things that like are, are on my bucket list as well. So her name is Rachel Rogers. Very cool. Ooh, my, ooh, the ranch sounds really nice. When are we going? <laughs> I know. Well, she's got a retreat center on there now. I'm like, ooh. okay, so. All right. Put that down look on into that. We've got to get yep. our meetup leaders there, right? On Jess? Or yes. Try to figure something out to do something with all of our leaders at some point when things get a little more, even more normal, but Hey, you know, the world is changing. Yes. Um, Bonnie, Bonnie, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for sharing all your great nuggets of information. Um, we appreciate you so much and, uh, you know, just appreciate your time and sharing your knowledge with our community. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun and I always love talking with you both. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.